0: chapter nine of policy and passion this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org policy and passion by rosa campbell Praed. chapter nine the ferris menage miss longleat lingered on the plain with janey till there was no probability of again encountering mr maddox when a little after one she returned to the house the ferris family were all assembled in the dining room waiting her re-entrance in order to begin luncheon the old man had arrived from kuya a short time before He sat a little apart, with his hands clasping those of his daughter, who was kneeling on a low stool at his feet, while Mrs. Ferris, bustling about the table, asked discursive questions, touching his trip to town. Angela was slender and fair, with the appearance of frail health, which is denoted by great delicacy of limb, waxen complexion and violet stains beneath the eyes. She was barely seventeen and looked still younger. Her features were of the purity of a cameo, her forehead low, and her eyebrows full and extremely arched. Her mouth, pale rather than red, was of almost infantine softness, the lower lip drooping in a manner which suggested weakness of character. Her grey eyes, lovely in colour and shape, had a blank, abstracted gaze, and were at once dreamy and shallow. I am sorry to have kept you waiting, said Honoria, returning with excessive coldness Mr. Ferris's greeting. After all, Aunt Penn, there was no need for you to trouble yourself. You might have had luncheon in your own cottage. Mr. Maddox has gone on to Likert's town.' it was tacitly understood that when mr ferris was at home the two families should dine apart in company only when miss longleat entertained male visitors during her father's absence and upon such occasions the premier had stipulated that mrs ferris should preside as chaperone to his daughter you see whispered mr ferris to his wife with an air of irritated complaint as honoria laid aside her hat in an inner chamber she does not want me here she did not notice me she treats me as if i were the dirt she never shook hands with me You old fool, said Mrs. Ferris, who had a brusque, cheerful method of disposing of her lord's grievances, when polished silver's the fashion, who cares for old gold? A girl that has just parted with her sweetheart hasn't got eyes for old folk. Well, go on about this, Mr. Barrington. I'll believe in your opinion, Anthony, for in spite of your blather about art, ye don't want for wits the man is no ordinary new chum that's certain who are you talking about asked honoria my old man has picked up a kindred spirit in kuya an englishman on his way to lord Dolph's, and as i say no common new chum if his story about the guards is true Things go by contraries out here. It was only the other day we sent a lord's son to the huts. Butchers and baronets, lords and loafers, it's all one. I'll just say two and two make four to balance my mind. You've got a new book, Angel, said Honoria, pointing to a freshly bound volume in the girl's lap. Do you like it? "'It is a translation from the German. "'I have not read it yet,' replied Angela coldly. "'There's a little fib,' said Mrs. Ferris, "'in a tone of good-humoured contradiction "'that grated upon Angela's nerves. "'Why, it's only a minute ago that I came in "'and heard you telling your father "'about the mermaids and water-spirits "'and such-like nonsense that the book is filled with. "'Fie, you are too big a girl to heed such fairy tales now.' angela said janey pricking up her ears at the mention of fairy tales you said that you'd tell me about the spirits which float under the lilies on the lagoon nobody sees them but you and you promised to put them in a picture so that i can understand come said mrs ferris and let us feed our bodies as well as our souls There was no need to worry about my scrappy lunch. I never thought, Honoria, but that you'd have persuaded Mr. Maddox to stay. Why was he so anxious to be off? He had business in Likert's town, replied Honoria briefly. I am told that he is to be the new minister for lands, said Mr. Ferris. Honoria was silent for a few moments. Presently she asked a question about the political prospects they say that the ministry cannot last said mr ferris the heavy floods inland will prevent many of the western members from reaching likert's town in time for the opening and the numbers are so even that if the opposition brings forward a motion of want of confidence it is an absolute certainty that the government will go out you speak as though you wished my father to be beaten said honoria with temper "'I'm not a party man,' answered Mr. Ferris. "'The convictions of most people lie in their pockets, and I'm not above the weaknesses of humanity. I had a fancy for being in town this winter, and your father could easily have put me into a government sinecure, but he was too honest for that. Ha, ha!' Mr. Ferris uttered his disagreeable chuckle, and it's of small consequence to me whether he or Middleton is in power.' as for me remarked mrs ferris meditatively i must pin my political faith on something and though i dare say it's very likely that the premier is mistaken i'd rather take him for my block than fashion my opinions at haphazard honoria ate her luncheon in irritated silence and seized the first opportunity which presented itself of quitting the table she was in a mood in which small annoyances jarred upon her and she wished to take a quiet retrospect of the scene she had enacted with maddox just as a lover of the drama will re-read in solitude with keen delight a play the performance of which has deeply interested him mr ferris's mode of lapping his cream which indeed resembled that of her father interfered with the flow of her thoughts she reflected that it would add considerably to her happiness if the premier would for once depart from his political creed and by rewarding mr ferris's services with a government post remove him from kuralbin but he would be equally odious in likert's town The old man's obnoxious presence was one of her minor sores, and she, in common with other inhabitants of the district, was at a loss to explain the link that connected Thomas Longleat with his storekeeper. It was still more inexplicable from the undercurrent of jealousy, which the utterance of some biting allusion or cynical remark on the part of Mr. Ferris continually betrayed." honoria had been at school in sydney when ten years before this date anthony ferris with his wife and child had arrived in leichardt's land poor and apparently friendless he had made his way to coorobin and after an interview with mr longleat was immediately appointed storekeeper at four times the rate of salary enjoyed by his predecessor the act had always been quoted as illustrative of longleat's disinterested generosity but sammy deans a certain free selector upon cool robin who cultivated byron and shakespeare and had established a vinous intimacy with mr ferris always shook his head mysteriously and declared that he knew better honoria had never coincided with the popular view of mr longleat's adoption of anthony ferris she was of opinion that her father's bountiful impulses ought at least to be subservient to her antipathies she disliked mr ferris rather for the reason adduced against dr fell than from any assignable cause the veiled animosity to which longleat pompous self-engrossed and in a manner liberal-minded was blind had been quickly made patent to her keener perceptions she saw that he disliked her father and more particularly herself and resented as a personal grievance that in spite of her frequently expressed aversion mr ferris's society was thrust upon her in a way at which she was unable to take open umbrage in truth he was not an agreeable old man he was variable as the winds sometimes morose and taciturn at others garrulous and self-complacent but always displaying that morbid vanity which is the peculiar attribute of unappreciated artists whose ideal aspirations transcend the critical capacity of their age mr ferris justified his failure by the self-gratulatory reflection that genius which misses the aim of circumstance like steam that exhausts its energy upon the air is no less the potential regenerator of the universe he had painted pictures which no connoisseur would purchase and which had never cleared the portals of a high-class exhibition he had written poems combining fervid metaphor and stilted inanity doomed to be numbered amongst the myriads of rejected addresses which represent the waste of so much nervous energy and the expenditure of so great an amount of vicarious emotion at the age of forty-five he had collapsed in a fit of despair had thrown away his brushes and forsworn the exercise of his imagination and had sunk into the apathy of disappointment as thomas longleat's storekeeper he was embittered to the core and often when he was alone would weep puerile tears over the miscarriage of his favourite ambition nevertheless ease was grateful to him he had endured a hand-to-hand fight with starvation and for the first few years of his life in australia blessed the means by which he had acquired freedom from actual privation but as time went on jealousy gathered like a slow volcano in his breast and comparison of his own position with that of his patron was a ready goad to animosity good mrs ferris in comprehending soul knew nothing of the inward demon which devoured her lord or if she guessed at its existence laid it to the charge of her own shortcomings in not having presented him with the son for which she knew he longed my dear she would say to honoria in one of her confidential moments for her young charge aunt pen as she was called professed an unbounded love and admiration Mr. Ferris always had an extraordinary notion that his son and mine would set the world on fire. I don't know, I'm sure, what put it into his head, for I never laid claim to any remarkable ideas. My family were always steady, respectable folk, but the old fool would keep drilling into me that it was the combination which produced geniuses, till I fairly flew round in his face and said, bother your combinations and your geniuses. If ever I have a son, which doesn't seem likely, I hope he may be adult. It was flying in the face of providence, my love, for the Almighty is not agreeable to having his works cut out for him like the pattern of a gown. Never a son have I had, and Mr. Ferris has been fain to content himself with a weekly slip of a girl who has no notion of anything except her painting and her mooning ways." upon angela mr ferris's hopes were centred she was the apple of his eye the joy of his life he had brought her up in accordance with his own theories of artistic education and the result had been a strange mixture of ignorance and premature knowledge he had brought all external conditions to bear upon the development of her peculiar temperament had as he expressed it cradled her in the lap of inspiration had allowed her to run riot with nature and had from her childhood encouraged the free play of her vague poetic fancies he would not permit his wife to teach her needlework or any ordinary feminine accomplishment nor would he suffer her to be fettered by the conventional rules which from the hour of her birth govern a woman's existence no restriction was placed upon her childish love of reading and she was at liberty to roam as she would through the fields of strange fact and flowery fancy thus the child's mind was a storehouse of fairy legends and half understood classical myths from her youth she had been taught to regard her pencil as the interpreter of her inmost yearnings and the vent for her exuberant imagination She was solitary in her habits and fond of wandering alone in the bush, but so greatly had her gentle ways endeared her to all with whom she came in contact, that even the most savage of the blacks who frequented the mountains would not have dreamed of harming or frightening her. End of chapter 9